0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We've had a great time over the last month and I've really enjoyed this series called The Church. Uh, coupled with the church, we had a, a Sunday that we had Vision Sunday in between that series. So the last four weeks have been really crucial to our direction as a church. And every week in the last four weeks, I've shared this thought that Jesus had a vision to build the church, but He also had a plan for that vision. And the plan was this, that to build the church, God is looking for people that have a revelation of who He is, a revelation of who they are, and a revelation of what they have been called to do. And we see that in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? And it was Peter under divine inspiration and revelation of the Holy Spirit that said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're not just a Jesus, you're the Jesus. And Jesus says, wow, this guy's got a revelation of who I am. Now I'm gonna give him a revelation of who he is. Because in order for the church to build, they need a, you need a revelation of who he is and you need a revelation of who you are. And then he says, you are no longer Simon, you'll be known as Peter, has a name change, gives him a, his true identity. And then out of that, he says, and on you, I will build my church purpose. So we need a revelation. If we're going to be partakers of this divine glory and build the church, we need a revelation of who Jesus is. We need a revelation of who you are. And we need a revelation of what it is that we've been called to do. Hence why I feel to share this particular subject. I I don't wanna move off this thought because I realise when it comes to our thoughts about us, they are the most important thoughts that we are gonna have in our life. And so the title of my message is simply this, Who do you think you are? Turn to the person next to you and say, Who do you think you are? And here's the good news. I'm gonna answer that question over the next few weeks. This question is gonna be answered over the next few weeks. Because what you think about you is of primary importance in your life. And the little subtitle there is, it's about discovering your true identity or our true identity in Christ Jesus. Who do you think you are is really, really important. And so I wonder if you turn with your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and it says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's break this down. It says anyone. Shout out at me, anyone. Anyone. Do you know what the word anyone means? When it comes to this particular word, I'm a Greek scholar. I mean, I may not be a Greek scholar when it comes to uh, all the Bible, but this word, I know fully what it means. And anyone means you. That's what it means. It means anyone. It means male and female, black and white, short and tall. It means you. It means anyone, it means all of us. This is an all-inclusive Gospel. Anyone, it goes on to say, who is in Christ is a new creation, which means it's present tense. This is a present tense promise. The promise is to anyone and it's for right here, right now. Some of you have a philosophy and a theology that says, I'm just waiting to get to heaven because in heaven we'll have a new body. In heaven we'll have no more tears. In heaven there'll be no poverty, which is good theology. But there's more than that. I thank God that we can have our pie in the sky when we die. I thank God for that. That's, That's good news. That we've got this promise of eternal life. Pie in the sky when you die. Praise God for that. But here's where the news gets better. We not only have eternal life, but we have abundant life. Jesus came not only that we might have eternal life, but that we might have abundant life right here, right now. Life to the full, life to the max, life with a capital L. In other words, we not only have our pie in the sky when we die, but we can have our steak on the plate while we wait. And if you're a vegetarian, I've got nothing for you. But I think I've made my point. Whatever it is that you know, we can have it right here, right now. It's not just kingdom come. It's kingdom right here, right now. I thank God that we have this promise of eternity where there will be no more tears, no more poverty, no more sickness. Thank God. I look forward to the day when we'll be reunited with Chris Guglielmucci and many others who have gone before us. I look forward to that day. But am I just waiting for that day? Because I can bring a little bit of heaven to earth. The promise is right here, right now. You are a new creation right now. Right now, we can live in it. But then it goes on to say, but the old is gone, which is past tense. The, the, The promise that is present is the new creation, but what is gone is the old. The old has gone. And this is pivotal to our thinking. If we're to embrace the new, we've got to let go of the old. And that's why it goes on to say, behold, the new has come, which is a focus point. We shared last week that uh, you become what you behold. And if you behold the past, you will live in the past. If you behold the pain of the past, you'll live in the pain of the past. But the Bible says that old things have passed away, it's gone. And the new has come, it's right here, right now. And what we need to focus on is not what has been, but what is right now. You see, the way we think is the most influential thought in our life. And it will set a chain of reaction for good or for bad in your life. How you think will determine how you live. How you think will determine how you live. The Bible says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he? Let's read that portion of scripture from the NIV. It's found in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 6. It says this: Do not eat with a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he's the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. This is the picture of a man who says one thing but he's thinking something else. Just because you say it doesn't mean you're believing it, doesn't mean you're thinking it, doesn't mean you're living it. And so this is a picture of a stingy man that's trying to appear generous. The trouble is he'll never rise above his actual thought life. And if a stingy man tries to appear generous, sooner or later, the cracks will appear. It may look like this in 2019. You get invited around Crystal's house and Crystal (laughs) says, hey, help yourself to the fridge. What's mine is yours. That sounds very generous. The trouble is, if she doesn't have a generous heart and she does, but she didn't have a generous heart and someone went to the fridge and began to help themselves, pretty soon the cracks are gonna appear. The smile is going to disappear. It's going to say, what are you doing? I'm helping myself because you told me to. That's the problem. They said one thing, but they were thinking something else. They said, help yourself to the fridge, but in their heart, they were thinking, you better not touch a thing in that fridge. You'll never rise above your level of thoughts. And if you try to by action without changing your thinking, the cracks will appear. And I feel like this is where a lot of the problems in church life are, as in family, as in business, is when we have the appearance of something, but we're not actually thinking right in the first place. I think some of us are guilty, if we're honest, of looking around church, seeing what you need to do to behave like a Christian. And so we put our name down to serve. The trouble is if you put your name down to serve because everyone else is doing it, but you don't really want to do it and you don't think you should, eventually the cracks are gonna appear. And so you might serve for a week, you might serve for a month, you may even get to a year, but eventually the cracks are gonna appear. And this is how it usually manifests. There's no love in this place. I don't feel appreciated. I didn't know serving was about your appreciation in the first place. But that's the problem. Here's the real problem. We said yes to serving because we wanted the appearance of a Christian, but in our half hearts, we just wanted to be at the beach. And when you wanna be at the beach and you're stuck serving, you can only do that for a certain time. Either you change what you're doing or you change your thinking. And most people don't change their thinking, they change what they're doing so they stop serving. I oh, come on, you know this is good. You know this is right. It's true. We're gonna change our thinking. We're gonna change our thinking about who we are before what it is that we do. This is what I call ministering out of our brokenness. A lot of people minister out of their brokenness so they're hurt and they wanna help people because they know how painful it is to be hurt. The trouble is unless you get healed, if you're hurt, you'll never be able to help anyone because hurt people only ever hurt people. We don't minister out of brokenness, we need to minister out of victory. And the victory is first one, in the air of our we think, in the air of our mind. One thing I'm so grateful for, for my dad, and there's many things. If you've been around a while, you know I love my dad. I'm so grateful for him. He's 84, Uh, next month, 84. And uh, he's just like Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And I just really appreciate him. (coughs) But the greatest gift my dad gave me was the ability to think. And I, I never... Forget, even as a young man growing up, I'd ask Dad questions and Dad always gave me the first right to respond to my own questions. He'd say to me, what do you think? I'm like, hang on, I obviously don't know the answer. That's why I asked you the question in the first place. But I didn't realise what he was trying to do is help develop my thinking ability. And this is what I've learnt. A brain is like a muscle. Use it and it will grow. Faith is like a muscle. We used to sing that as a song in Victory Kids. No, kids ablaze at an old church, they used to sing it. Faith is like a muscle, use it and it will grow. And, and, and I realised our brain's much the same. If we will use our brain, it actually grow. And I've adopted this principle when we started leading this church. I, I knew a long time ago that my job is not to tell you what to do. People often ask, what do you want me to do? It's not my place to tell you what to do. It's not even my place to tell you what to think. My role as senior pastor of this church is to help you how to think. So I have blessed a lot of people and frustrated a lot of people with my responses because I said, what do you think? I said, if I knew the answer, I wouldn't be coming to you. I said, but I'm not here to give you the answer. I'm here to help you know how to think. And what I've learned a lot about people, some people don't want to think, they just want the answer. Where did we get that from? We got that from when we were at school. You know that big maths book? You look at the equations But you knew the answers were in the back. As you go straight to the back, you'd write the answer. The teachers weren't silly. They'd say, oh, that's good, but I haven't seen any working out. How did you get that answer? I went to the back of the book. That's only going to get you so far. The reason the teacher wants to see you're working out is to know that you know what you did to get the answer. Because that book's not always going to be there. And my dad had the distinct understanding that he's not always going to be there for me. And so he gave me this incredible ability to know how to think. And, and, and I want that to be my legacy, that I could give you the ability to know how to think, not what to think, not what to do, but to know how to think. Because we don't want people ministering out of our brokenness. We want people ministering from a place of victory. Because identity comes before activity. Identity comes before Activity. When you know who you are, you'll know how to behave. In our staff and with our volunteer team, there's a lot of young kids that run around and come in from time to time. And and it's funny because sometimes my door will be open and and, and a, a young toddler will just find himself walking into my office, to which I'll smile and look at them and say, Hi. And usually, because they don't know me, they'll usually just run away. (laughs) Sometimes they'll apologise, sorry, and then run away. Every so often, and this happens seldom, but sometimes it's happened, they put on a brave front. Yeah, I'm good, how are you? You're good? And just like, whoa. But when my kids, who know me, and more importantly, they know who they are, walk into my office, there's no awkwardness. And they know that them being in my office is not wrong. It's not weird. Because they know who they are. It's my dad. It's my dad's office. And so as a result, they know what to do. And they go to the fridge. They help themselves to the fridge. Because they know who they are. And that comes out of knowing your true identity. Because identity comes before activity. And problems always happen when we forget who we are. When our kids were much younger, even before BJ was born, so there's Bailey and, sorry, there was Mitch and Geordie. we were on a bed and uh, having a wrestle as, as, you know, good dads do. But good dads also know limits. But on this particular case, I, I just forgot who I was. In this moment of battle, I wasn't dad, I was just one of the kids. And so I'm just kind of just going forward and we're just hammering these kids. they got this pillow and I'm punching them. I mean, I'm, no, they've got to take that off the tape. Just like, I'm hitting them in the pillow, we're having fun. And I stand up ready to give them the biggest king hit ever and smash. I not only broke the light bulb, I also broke the light fitting. All stuff on the bed. And like a little boy, I'm like, quick kids, study it up before mum comes home. <laughs> what happened? What went wrong? I just forgot who I was. wasn't being dad, I was just being one of the kids and that's what happens. When we forget who we are, we forget how to behave. And we need to remember what we are, but more importantly, we need to remember what we're not. We're not our past. The old is gone. That means you are not your mistakes. You are not your sins. You are not all those things that you used to do. In Christ, the new has come. The old is gone. This is good news. But we can hear good news, but if we don't think about it correctly, we're gonna miss it. This whole year has been themed into the new. And in order for us to step into the new, it requires new things. And new things require new thoughts. If we don't embrace new thoughts, we won't embrace new things, not long-term. Jesus said it this way. He said, you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. Why? Because new wine has kick in it new wine is, is full of life and an old wineskin is way too inflexible to handle the movement of new wine. And he says, if you try and put new wine into an old wine skin, what's gonna happen? You're gonna break and split the old wineskin and you're gonna lose the wineskin and the wine. He says, no, new wine requires new wineskins. In other words, new things that you wanna embrace this year requires new mindsets. And that's why it's with good reason the Bible says this, to renew your mind. You can't embrace new things with old thoughts. This applies to every area of life. You think about a young couple that get married. I believe one of the biggest problems with marriage today is that we have two people with the appearance of living together, but they live separately in their thinking. In order for a marriage to work, you can no longer think like a single person. You have to think like a married person. And I believe this is where the problem is. And this may account for why the divorce rate is what it is. I mean, the divorce rate is way too high for my liking. The divorce rate tells me that most marriages are not gonna work. And I, 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 I dare think that it's possibly something to do with the fact that we didn't cross over into married think, but we stayed in single man think. I would recommend every married couple get this little book called Love Languages. And in that book, it gives you insight to not only your love language, but hopefully your partner's love language. But here's the problem with that book. We use that book to endorse and further uh, endorse my love language. And so all the men there, for the most part, they like physical touch. They want intimacy. They want a little bit of action in the bedrooms. They're hoping that she'll read that with that in mind. The trouble is women are different by nature. And I know there's exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, because I've been passing for a long time and I've heard a lot of stories and, and women just want communication. I wish he would talk more and open up about how he feels. Getting a sore neck just thinking about that. Which is really unfair because Women, by and large, have twice as many words as men, so I'm never gonna match my wife's desire for the words. Look at the men, they're just like. (laughs) And and eventually, we miss the purpose of the book. And tension appears. And again, like I said before, you can appear generous for a season, but if, if you don't think generosity, the cracks will appear. You can can have the appearance of living together for a while, but if the thinking hasn't changed, eventually cracks are going to appear, the wine's going to spill out, and separation happens. New seasons require new thinking. Can you imagine if the men in this place read that book, Love Languages, and thought, what's my wife's love language? And what can I do to help meet that need in her life? That's how married men should think. All the women are. But you're not doing it too loudly because you know where I'm going with this. And all the women should say, hey, this is my husband's love language, and what can I do to ensure that his love language and his needs are met? That's a woman thinking like a married person. But if we just think like single people, that's where the problems are. The way you think is pivotal to the way that you live. And if we don't replace new thoughts with new seasons, eventually there's going to be separation, spillage and loss. And so it's important that we know what we are not. And you are not your mistakes. You are not your past. You are not where you live. You are not how much you earn. You are not those things. That's not who you are. That does not define you. And if we can understand that, maybe we wouldn't take jobs based upon the income, but maybe we'd start to take jobs based on calling. I'm tired of people who are earning lots of money, but are miserable because they're not doing what God has called them to do because they don't know who they are. And it always starts with renewing our mind. And I think it's far better to take a little bit of a pay cut And do what God has called you to do than to get the extra money, but be miserable because you're not enjoying life. Because God has wired you a certain way to do a certain job in order that the church of God might be established and built. Can you imagine how contagious you would be at work if you were doing what you love doing? And people say, what is it with you? You're always happy. The trouble is we can have a happy experience at church, but if we go to a dead end job or a job that we don't enjoy because we get so much money... We come across as a grumpy guy, and we're never going to win people to Jesus and build the church if we're the grumpy guy. If we're the miserable guy. And we say, Oh, but I believe in Jesus. And wow, Jesus obviously ain't working for you. But I think it's more foundational. I think it's that we just don't understand who we are. And this series essentially is about us knowing who we are, coupled with an ability to know how to think. This is a game changer. This is not semantics. This is a game changer. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between chalk and cheese. It's the difference between black and white. You're not what you wear, young people. You're not what you hold in your hand with technology. You don't need the latest and greatest phone. The iPhone 3 still works, apparently. Who knew? Who knew? You see how much money we waste, how many things we chase, because we want to be accepted. We want to be part of the in-crowd. But the Bible has some good news for us when it comes to those things. None of these things I've mentioned define us, but our true identity is found in Christ. So who do you think you are? It's a great question to ask. And the Bible has answers as to who we really are. And in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul highlights many incredible truths. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and I might just highlight one based on time. But really, this is just an introduction to the next few weeks as we just delve into who we are in Christ. This is a game changer. This is the kind of teaching I got as a teenager, and it changed my life. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3. It says, praise be to the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with His pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, I want you to acknowledge these, maybe highlight them, underline them, circle them. All the time it mentions in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of Christ. Oh, sorry, God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In this small portion of Scripture, There are so many incredible riches as to who we are in Christ. And I don't have the time right now to go through them all, but I'm going to give you the heads up as to where we're going. So you can take this passage this week, study it, read it, read it and study it and get our minds renewed as to who we are in Christ Jesus. To give you a little bit of a a taste, the Bible tells me in um, verse 6 that you and I are accepted in Christ. I mean, this is an amazing thing. We get new technology, we, we, we buy new clothes, we do all these things in order to be accepted. And the Bible says, You're already accepted. You don't ever, ever have to update your phone or buy, buy the latest brand. You're already accepted. And this is an amazing truth. And it's one that we need to get into our psyche and into our thinking that we are accepted. And our acceptance is not based upon what we do or what we wear or what we have. It's based upon the righteousness of God. It's based upon His perfection. That means you can never be good enough and you can never be bad enough. You're accepted on your best day, and here's the good news you're accepted on your worst day. You're accepted. I love the fact that Father God is not like Father Christmas. He doesn't measure who's been naughty and nice. He just accepts you as you are when you're in Christ. You say, oh, but but I, I let people down this week. Yeah, but Jesus didn't and you're in Jesus. And so He doesn't look at your sin. He looks at God's perfection in Christ. And so as a result, you and I are accepted when we are in Him. That means when we win we're accepted, and when we lose, we're accepted. When we're good, we're accepted, and when we're bad, we're accepted. So rejoice in your position, not in your performance. Your performance doesn't determine your acceptance. In this good news? And this news that I'm bringing to you today should change the way we think and change the way we act. Let's get the band up here real quick. That'd be fantastic. He goes on to say that not only have we been accepted, but we've also been adopted. That we've been adopted into His family. I I mean, for, for those of you who feel a little bit lonely, the good news is that you've been accepted and you've been adopted into the family of God. These are incredible truths that we have. You think about the privilege and the benefit that Prince William has because of the family that he belongs to. Well, the Bible says that because you're part of the family of God, you get the riches that are available to you because you're part of His family. Isn't that amazing? We're part of the family. I, I, I love the picture of marriage. When I, I, when I married Kath, it's not like we share things, half is hers and half is mine. When we came together, when we were joined together, it means all that we have is all mine And all that we have is all hers. And all that we have available to us is at our disposal. This thinking will change your life. You know, ever since I can remember, I've had this said over me, ah, it's all right for you though, Tony. And you know what? That statement's absolutely 100% true. It's always been all right for me. That doesn't mean it's always been easy. That doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. That doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes. It just means it always works out well. And I think we highlighted that, particularly in that year of 2016, but there's many times over the last X amount of years where things have happened. But this thought that it's it's all right for me. And the reason I came up with that notion that it will be all right for me is not because of what was happening to me, but because of this truth. Paul says it this way. When he was being beaten, battered and bruised and shipwrecked and and stoned and flogged and imprisoned, he says, hey, for me to live is Christ. Every day I'm alive, I get to preach the good news. That's a win. This is the position that Pastor Danny's taken. Hey, I'm alive, so I might as well make it count. I'll take up the opportunity to be with victory on Tuesday night. For me to live is Christ. Paul also has this revelation, Ah, oh, but if I died, happy days, it's gain. I get to be in the presence of God. No more sin, no more suffering, no more whinging Christians. What a win. What do you do with a guy like that? You put him in prison to shut him up, but he keeps talking and singing and prison doors open. Ah, for me to live is Christ. But to die, ha, go on, do it anyway. Ha, <laughs> ha, that's gain too. I think it's always gonna be right for a guy like that. Because it's not dependent on what's happening to him. It's dependent upon his thinking. In this room, there are people who are having the best day of their life. Our family has been extended as a church, joining and Steph, rejoicing in the birth of number three, Eden, wow! And others dealing with sickness, life-threatening disease. Honestly, I stand on the door. Kath and I often joke about this. We stand on the door. I feel schizophrenic. I'm like, hey, how you doing? High five. Happy days. Congratulations. And then you see someone over here, you know, there's pain and there's loss. just want you to know, sad to hear what's happened, but we're standing with you. You'll be good. Let's be. Have a great day. Ho, ho, how you doing? That's our life. And, and, and that's that can mess with your head. But if we would settle some things, I, I believe like Paul, we could have a revelation. Then no matter what happens to me, it's all good. It's all good. I remember lying in hospital all those years ago now, and you know, when my life was in the balance. And having this thought, what could be worse than dying? And I thought, I, I'm very clear. The worst thing than me dying would be to me to live and whinge and complain about this moment. The worst thing would be me to come out of hospital with my head held low, complaining, shaking my fist at God, saying, why? Where were you? I said, if that's all I've got, take me now. There's nothing worse than dying. It's being a bad witness on earth, as far as I'm concerned. And so as I regained my strength and I realised, actually, I'm not going to die. Not today. I will one day, but not today. Not in 2016. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm alive, I don't want to be just alive. I want to be fully alive. And that's why some of you have noticed I've received the mark of the beast in getting a tattoo on my arm. Just as a reminder, not only to me, but Anyone I get an opportunity to speak to, what's what's fully alive, man? I tell my story. So let me tell you. When I was in hospital, I didn't want to be alive. Alive's overrated. Who wants to be alive just to whinge another day. What a waste of life. I don't want to be alive. I want to be fully alive. That's a whole nother story. And, And I want to be part of a church where people can be fully alive. Not because of the absence of pain. Not because of the absence of turmoil. Not because of the absence of things that you can't quite explain. Not because of the absence of that. But because of the presence of who we are in Christ. Will you stand with me this morning? Like I said, today's really just an introduction to where we're going to go over the next few weeks. But, But I realise for this to be truly heard, we need to renew our minds. And, and part of this series will have some practical things. But can I just give it to you real quickly? What do you do? What do you do? It's real simple. It's hard to do, but it's real simple. You know what you do to adopt good thinking? You stop thinking about bad thinking. That's hard, I know. But that's what you do. You it's gone. Oh, but I did it. It's gone. Stop thinking that. Stop it. I talk to myself they say that's the first sign of going crazy well hey stop it Tony just stop it I say to a kid stop it it's not who you are stop it when you hear cats stop it anyone in my world stop it because that's the starting place. you've got to stop the old thinking you've got to stop it if you don't, that's not enough you've got to replace it so you've got to stop it but then you've got to replace it what do you replace it with? good thoughts whatever is pure whatever is holy whatever is noble whatever is praiseworthy think on such things It's your responsibility to think about good things, not bad things. And you have the potential to do both. Most people's problems is because they dwell on the wrong thing. Imagine living a life of bitterness because of what someone did to you 20 years ago. Seriously. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of negative thinking. We have the opportunity to stop stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I give you permission today to tell yourself to stop it. And then in your world, stop it. Stop it. Because it doesn't help. And then you replace it with who we are. Oh, I should have never have done that. Oh, how could I ever forgive? Oh, what will they think? Oh, man, I can't believe I did that. You can focus on that as they stop it. How about if I, I'm accepted? Jesus, when you were on the cross, you had me in mind and you could have called 12,000 legions of angels, but you didn't because had you saved yourself, you wouldn't be able to save me. But you chose not to save yourself in order to save me. And because you saved me, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm gonna focus on that. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on my position in Christ. Who am I? I'm accepted in the Beloved. Who am I? I'm not an orphan. I'm uh, adopted. I'm part of the family of God. I'm going to be with God all time and eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years from now, we're going to be singing praise songs and worship songs. Oh, it's going to be amazing. My life's going to get better. It's not going to get bitter. It's up to you what you choose to focus on. You've got to stop the negative thinking and you've got to replace it